Good morning, everyone. I'll try and get your attention, and maybe I'll do that by asking if you'll pray with me as we begin looking at our lesson this morning. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, we're gathering once again this morning to open your word, and we ask that you would reveal yourself to us, that we would come to know you more that our hope, the hope that you've given to us, would be growing, that we would know more of your great power and your great love. Lord, speak to each heart this morning by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we got this fun little handout. I love this. I hope that you'll take that home and post that and be going back to it again and again. Another quick recommendation that I have for you. I've been listening to this wonderful song by Christy Knuckles called A Mighty Fortress. Just seems to go with all these themes and truths we're learning in the book of Ephesians. So in your worship time, you might want to include that song, A Mighty Fortress by Christy Knuckles. I want to also encourage you to keep reading through the book of Ephesians. So for the last two weeks, you've been reading chapter one. Now for this week and next week, I want you to read chapter two. And can I give you a little homework, a little more than that? As you reflect on chapter one and you're reading through chapter two, would you be writing down a list of truths about who God is and all that he's done? Okay, and then also we have these wonderful prayer cards. Did you find them in the back of your book? And have you been using them? Okay, the prayer that I prayed this morning is what's on my card. I hope that you'll be finding a verse or a truth to be taken with you wherever you go or put it on your mirror, put it by your kitchen sink, okay? Be using those cards and let's be bathing our lives um, in prayer. I want to just review once again the whole book of Ephesians, the message of the book. Paul highlights, okay, Jesus is the exalted Christ and his body as his church, unified, living in unity. And have you seen it as you've been reading through chapter 1 of Ephesians? The greatest truth of all is, is that God, in love, and in his, his incomparable power, reached down to save us in his immeasurable grace. And through Christ, he made a way for us sinners to be united with him, to be his beloved children, his dearly loved daughters. And so we know that Christ is exalted over all, especially all, over all the powers of this world. And we know that the Ephesians lived in this, this world, this city, where they were living in fear of all the powers, right? They were trying to gain control of the powers through idol worship and magic. And so Paul says, oh, Christ is over all, it all. And his people are called to live as children of light in this world of darkness. They're to turn away from the old ways of sin 
and to stand firm in truth and love. So our focus, that's the message of Ephesians, and our focus as we go through the study is not to focus on the darkness, right? To, but to keep watching for the light and seeking to live as children of light. When we are living and growing in Christ, we are pushing back the darkness, ladies. This morning, the big theme for our morning is stand firm in God's power. So let's open to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, beginning with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand firm in God's power. So I want you to just be thinking about our posture as we're going through our everyday lives. <laughs> we're not in, in the lazy chair <laughs> with our feet <laughs> put up, okay? We're not taking a break. We are not taking a nap. And letting others do our part. We are not shaken with fear. We are standing firm in God's power. Now, I think I've told many of you before that when I was young, I was a gymnast. And my mom, I remember, would always come behind me and pull my shoulders back because I've, I'm renowned for having poor posture. I'm probably going to be one of those hunched over ladies when I get old. And I had to take years of ballet along with the gymnastics, right, trying to improve my posture, that I would stand up tall. And I think of an instructor at my gym. She says, chest proud, you know, stand up straight. Stand firm. And I can't help but think of a sweet song that we sing with those precious foster care children at Royal Family's Kids Camp that goes like this. I will stand upon your word, and I will not be shaken. This is, we do motions at camp, so I will stand upon your word, and I will not be shaken. And we shake our heads like this, but we're standing firm and strong. So as you go about your week this week, will you remember that? This is our posture. We're standing strong, standing firm. This last week, my hubby and I were out together, and he said, oh, look at the license plate of the car in front of us. And it said, rut row. And that echoes many Saturday mornings that I spent watching Scooby-Doo as a kid. And, and you can picture this, can't you? With me, Shaggy and Scooby-Doo, they were shaking, right? And Scooby-Doo would jump into Shaggy's arms, right? They were shaking in fear. And it made me laugh to think, you know, God's impressing upon my heart. Don't be like Scooby-Doo, <laughs> right? Stand. 
firm. Stand strong. So ladies, we know we are going to face troubles in this life, but we are the in Christ ones filled with his spirit who have the power to live godly lives in this evil world. Can I say it again? We have the power to live godly lives in this evil world. So I want to encourage you Stand strong. Be confident, not in yourself, but in God and his incomparable power, his superpower. Clyde Snodgrass, do you love that name? But I love his commentary on the book of Ephesians. Clyde Snodgrass, it's hard to say, says it like this. The powers of evil in this world are subjected powers, right? They are overruled by God's power. The unseen spiritual forces rule over darkness in this world. But we as Christians, we no longer live there. We've been transformed from the kingdom of, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into God's kingdom of light. We live in the light of Christ. So I just want to urge you, gently challenge you this morning. Let's not just be Tuesday morning gals where we come and we share together and read the word together and pray together but let's be ones that are really being transformed and living out what we are learning let's not be ones who are easily shaken let's put on his armor and stand firm no matter what comes our way So, this morning, I have to tell you, I'm not really going into the lessons that you've prepared. I'm counting on you all discussing that during your small group time. This is going to be kind of a simple introduction to spiritual conflicts. And I must give credit where credit is due. I took a class on this at Wheaton College, and so uh, these are it, a lot of this is from my notes, and my professor was Dr. Scott Moreau, okay? So I'm giving him, him the credit he deserves. So this is kind of our introduction to spiritual conflicts, and we're going to begin with this. God is our foundation. And we see this right at the beginning, okay? Right at the beginning of God's word. In Genesis 1, that God's nature, that he is the sovereign sovereign creator. Creation was his choice. He simply spoke, and everything comes to be. He says, let there be light. Don't you love that that's the first thing that he made? Because he is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. And of course, that's the first thing that he made. And he just spoke it into being, and the darkness was dispelled and everything that exists exists because he allows it he sustains it he's sustaining his creation and what did he declare when all was said and done after each day of creation he said it was good right and at the very end he said it was very good after he made human beings And so we know that nothing that he has made is intrinsically evil. All that he creates is good. 
and God's identity. He is a loving, merciful father. Do you see this? When Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve sin and he goes out and he says in the garden, where are you? It's like a loving father. He knows exactly where they are, but he's longing for them. He's wanting to woo them back to himself, right? And he so graciously clothes them after they've sinned and, and seen their nakedness. It's a gift of grace right there. He's a loving, merciful father. And we know that God's goal is to unfold his kingdom throughout human history, to restore sinful people to himself. And then we find, we look at what he created, God's creation, humanity. And what is our nature? We are his image bearers who sin. And as Christians, we could even say we are imaging saints, God imaging saints who sin, right? Because we've been transferred from that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And our identity, let us never, ever forget it. We are children of God, dearly loved daughters of God. And our goal is to delight in to worship, to glorify God forever. We are made in his image. We're to reflect his image into the world. We have the ability to choose. And we, when God says, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over it, he invites humanity to reign with him to extend his glory and his kingdom over all the earth. As his people, as, his, as humanity, we were designed to connect to our creator, De not designed to live in relationship with the one whose image we bear. And so we must worship, but we get to choose, right? So we will worship either God or idols. But we were made to love him and to worship him alone. And I think of that study that I took years ago called Experiencing God. Remember that? I don't know if any of you took it years ago. But a few truths that we find there. That, that God is our creator. We are th the children of God. We are to live in submission before him or submission to him there is one god right and it's not us there is one king one lord it's not us when jesus the messiah comes he taught his disciples to pray your kingdom come heavenly father your will be done we find Adam and Eve didn't submit, did they? They rebelled against God's leadership. I've, I was reading th through and continuing to read th through, I guess I'm a little behind, a Christmas devotional. <laughs> it's called Watch the Light. Watch the Light. And I think... 
I think, once again, of this experience in God study, we're to be like clay in the hands of the potter. We don't plan our steps and ask for God's approval, just like Michelle was talking about in her intro this morning, right? We look to see, we watch for the light. We look to see where he's working, and we wait for him to light the way for, for each one of us. He gives us unique ways that we can join him in his work. Isn't it amazing? He invites us to join him in building his kingdom. But it's his kingdom, not our own kingdom, right? Then we find the fall. And let's, if you want, you can open up to the very beginning of your Bibles, Genesis 3, 1 to 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say... You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was, desired to, was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. That first line there, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. It begs a question that was asked in my discussion group <laughs> just last week. What is the origin of these evil supernatural forces? Because here we see it, right? At creation, Satan is already there in the form of a snake. And so I would simply say to you that much of this is a mystery to us, and many intelligent, faithful people have some different interpretations about the details. But this is what we can know. Satan and a third of the angels rebelled against God sometime before he created this world. So the enemy... And demons are fallen angels. They are created beings who chose to reject God's leadership and were cast out of heaven. They are liars who speak to, seek to bring destruction in this world and in the lives of God's people. So, Eve sees that the fruit is good for food, it's pleasing to the eye, and desirable for wisdom. Satan tempts her to believe lies, and she falls for it. That's why we call it the fall. Okay? And now, mind you, I don't really like talking about our enemy, right? Satan with a small s. But, Julie has encouraged me. Let's bring him out into the light. Let's expose him so that we can stand firm, so that we can know what we're up against. 
Satan here, we see, seeks to get at the very crown of God's creation, humanity. He's crafty. He entices Adam and Eve to make their own poor choices. He challenges the truth of God's character. He questions God's goodness, and Eve falls for it. He questions his commands, makes God seem like he's holding back or he's putting limits on them when they could eat every single, from every single tree in the garden but just the one, right? And then he says, oh, you won't die. You'll be like God. They're all lies. All lies. Ladies, <coughs> Satan cannot coerce. He can only convince. He aggravates what is already in our own hearts with lies. Can I say that again? He aggravates what is already within our own hearts with lies. And at the core of his temptation, we find he questions who God is and who we are. In contrast to God, Satan is a discreator. He seeks to deceive, discourage, dominate, bring division and destruction. And he works mainly with lies and seeking to deceive us. So if you forget absolutely everything thing I say this morning, uh, this is one thing I'm really, really hoping you'll remember. Okay? Underlying every single sin that we commit is a lie that we believed. Let me give you a few examples. I don't know. Somehow the Lord brought this to mind. This happened a long, long time ago, and it's a little bit fuzzy in my mind. But I remember having, I have four kids, and having the whole troops out and went to the grocery store. Not sure why I did that. But it was a very frustrating experience. And I held it together, and I held it together the whole time while I'm out in public in the grocery store. But we got into the van, and I lost my temper. And so this is the truth here. It's, it's never okay for me to lose my temper, to be harsh with my children, ever. Obviously, that's, <laughs> I was believing a lie that that was okay. But this is what I want you to think about. Somehow we get deceived into thinking that our sin is hidden, right? I w thought I was in the, somehow it felt safe being in the van that I could just let loose rather than being out in public. It's a lie to think that we can hide our sin, that there's somehow a place where it's okay for it to happen. Another example. I'm realizing that I can be positive with a lot of people in my world, but there's one person where I tend to really let down with the most, and that's my dear hubby. And so I kind of think, oh, it's okay to complain to him. But then I'm thinking... You know what? One of the things that I appreciate about him the most is he is steady and he never complains. Never. And oh, the truth is I want to bring good to my husband every day. I don't want to be the downer that he has to come to home to at the end of every day. Do you see the lies that are underneath our sinful behavior? So I want to challenge you 
If the Lord is convicting you of a certain sin, ask him to show you the lie that is underneath it, the lie that's behind it. And ask him to show you the self-talk, kind of what you're telling yourself as you're moving towards that sin. Identify the lie you're believing and then claim God's truth. This will equip you to walk in obedience. Help, ask him to help you identify the old way of life, the sin, and then the new pattern that he has for you to leave that old sin behind and sh ask him to show you the new way that he would have you walk in obedience to him. Timothy Keller highlights two of the enemies strategies that he tempts here Keller puts it this way it's as if Satan is trying to highlight God's love and to hide God's holiness oh it'll be okay God loves you he'll forgive you give yourself you might say to yourself oh I'm just, you know, I'm going to give myself a break. I've, I've been good in all these other areas. I'm, this, it's okay to let down here, okay? Temptation. And then the other thing is Satan accuses. And here, it's as if the enemy is highlighting God's holiness and then hiding his love. There, when it's to the point where we not only feel guilty, and fall into despair, but then we take on shame. Not only have I done something wrong, but I am bad, you know, c carrying that shame. You see the difference there between tempting and accusing? And do you know what, how we stand firm against temptations and accusations that the enemy might bring? We stand firm in the truth of the gospel. Because the reality is that we are way more sinful than I think we can ever get our minds around. We are sinful. Satan's right, right? We are sinful. But at the same time, we are be the beloved children of God. We are dearly loved. God loved us so much that he sent his son to offer himself in our place and to make a way for us Yes, very undeserving sinners to be reconciled to God. And that love, it's so high and wide and long and deep, we'll never be able to fully comprehend it. So we fight temptations and accusations with the truth of the gospel. I just want to mention quickly just some results from the fall. Guilt, we see Adam and Eve hiding, right? Fear, rather, th rather than living in God's love, right? They're, they are, they're hiding out. <laughs> they're afraid. Unbelief. I think one of, the, one of the key things that we must live in to stand firm is that God is good. We can't be tempted, must not be tempted, fall to the temptation to believe that, oh, God is not good because our situation is so bad, right? Broken relationships, we see 
the blaming going on, right? <laughs> and so Adam and Eve, their relationship with one another is broken and their relationship with God is broken. And then the struggle with an enemy. And yet, as I mentioned, I think the last time I taught in Genesis 3.15 is the proto-evangelium, the first announcement of the gospel, the promise that God will send one <laughs> who will crush Satan's head. Okay. The fall. And then we find also even just simply in Eve's sin, universal human needs, appetites, security, and si significance. Sin is when we turn to anything other than God to meet these basic human needs. It's when we seek in unhealthy ways to find pleasure or to avoid pain. It's when we place ourselves at the center of the universe. When we think we know better than God, we re rebel against him and go our own way. Our appetites are tied to our, our physical nature. Appetites speak of our need for food and sex and relationship. And we see how in our physical bodies we can succumb to addictions in our relationships, how we can become codependent um, if we turn to other things than God. We have a need for security, a place of rest. And we have this need for a sense of control. And so we may turn to money or possessions to find security. We may seek to take control <laughs> in our lives or in other people's lives, right? My husband every once in a while sends me this little gift. It's this gal going like this, <laughs> and he's reminding me, don't be taking control. It's usually when we're having discussions about our kids' lives, right? Yeah. yeah. Just the other day, he reminded me, how old is that daughter that you're talking about? 24. Yep, it's her life. Don't You can't. And it was good. I was having a conversation with him. I wasn't talking to her, and, you know, meddling, right? Yeah. <coughs> and then significance. We were made to connect to the one we image. And it's through that relationship that we have significance. But, oh, do we, we turn, can turn to other things, right, to find meaning in our lives. We pursue happiness rather than holiness. Or, um, we think either way too much of ourselves or way too little of ourselves, right? We, s we all can struggle in this area of significance. What can happen is when we turn to things other than God to meet these needs for our, our appetites, security, and si significance, we can end up in a situation where, where we're overpowered and enslaved. And ladies, oh, yes, these other gods will always let us down. They will always lead us to a place where we do not want to be. So maybe we can be asking the Lord, Look at those three areas. Lord, do you want me to, to grow me? Is there a place in my life where I'm turning to something else other than you to feed an appetite, to find security or significance? And then theaters of conflict. 
This is where three different battlefields, okay? Holiness. The enemy seeks to render us personally ineffective and to remove us from fellowship with God. Whereas God is holy and wants us to be holy, to be growing in, the, in reflecting him more and more. And we know the truth is we are in Christ and his very spirit dwells within us. And so may it be our prayer that we would have tender hearts that are sensitive to the spirit's leadings. And that by the spirit, we would be leaving the old ways behind and walking in ways that please the Lord, growing in holiness. And then the battlefield of the mind, the enemy seeks to disrupt our thinking so as to eventually gain control of our thought processes. Now, if we want to grow in our holiness, to grow in Christ, to grow in the way that we reflect his character in this world, we've got to get control. If, if we want to really get control of our actions, and can I say this, ladies, our feelings, then we must take control of our thoughts. Let's be going back to his word and asking the Lord to, re to help us identify lies and rep replace them with truth from his word. And last but not least, service. The enemy seeks to render, render us either neutral or harmful in our service of others. The enemy is satisfied when Christians avoid serving altogether, right? In the lazy boy, <laughs> okay? Or as they're serving, they're spinning their wheels in frustration, you know, making it difficult for, our, for us. Or even that we would be damaging to others as we're seeking to serve. And then... We look at our Savior, who not only became human, but was a humble servant, obedient to the Father to the point of death. He poured out his life for us undeser undeserving sinners. So our response to what Christ has done for us is to pour out our lives in service to him, our King. And as we seek to build God's kingdom, each one of us will be called to serve the Lord in different ways. And yes, in the midst of serving, it will require, it will be difficult and it, it will require great sacrifice, but there is also great joy in serving our God. I will close just briefly with this. These are your spiritual conflict disciplines. We find this all in the book of Ephesians. And the, the core thing is we're standing firm right, is living in truth. And then other practices we're called to in the book of Ephesians, to put off sin, to put on Christ, be filled with the Spirit, to stand firm, and to be women who are praying all the time, praying. Ladies, let's be one who stands firm in God's power. Amen. Amen.